0: What does it take to remove the spookiest tree in the world? How far would you go for your art? And then we cover a bizarre new conspiracy theory that I just thought of. Just thought of this one last week, but it's been sticking in my head. Is it possible that cryptids are actually... (laughs) This is when you know there's only two episodes left of the season. Is it possible, when, when this type of insanity comes out, is it possible that cryptids are actually old-timey drug users today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. There is only two episodes left of Season 14. After I record this one and tomorrow's one, which I'm going back to record back-to-back, I'm doing these on the same day. I get to take three weeks off. The show will be back in um, the first week of August. We'll be back. And, though... We will have a live stream on YouTube, so subscribe to the YouTube channel. On July 18th, we are going to have an Alien Invasion live stream brought to you by A Quiet Place Part 2. Join the live stream, ask me some questions, get your bowl of strawberry ice cream ready as we wait for the alien invaders that are predicted to come show up. I don't expect they're going to, but we're going to have a ball anyways. And if you do miss the live stream, I will be including that audio. I will be uploading that audio to the podcast channel as well. I think it'll be a good, fun time waiting for aliens. But let's go ahead and get started with the episode. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, walking in, is a longtime Patreon supporter, Sister Celestine. Everyone give a round of applause to Sister Celestine. I imagine she's hovering. She doesn't seem like she would be walking. That seems so earthly. She's floating around in Dead Rabbit Command. Sister Celestine, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are heading on out to Bentonville. Illinois. Sister Celeste, she's just floating next to the dirigible. She's towing it with a rope wrapped around her neck. She's flying us out to Bentonville, Illinois. Specifically, we're headed to the Peoria State Hospital. It's shut down now. It's shut down now. It's no longer in operation. It's just a bunch of old spooky buildings sitting on this plot of land. But in the early 1900s, Peoria State Hospital was known by a different name. The Illinois Asylum for the Incurable Insane. Which would suck, right? Which would suck if you're getting taken there. You're like, I'm slightly insane, but maybe maybe things will work out. And as you see the car pulling up, you see the sign, you're like, Oh man, I wanted to go to the incurable one. But no, sir, you are you are incurably insane. It's nineteen hundred, so that could just mean that, you know, you had a headache that wouldn't go away. Everyone you were just locked up if you were even slightly insane. But this place it's interesting because we've covered a couple of insane asylums on this podcast because they tend to be haunted, right? But this one fell into the kind hands of Dr. George A. Zeller, and for the early 1900s, he was considered like if you were going to go to any, if you're going to go to any mental institution, you'd want to go to this one, even though it would mean you were incurably insane. He actually was ahead of his time as far as like treating people humanely. By by treating them, not just going, I wonder what happens if we put this much electricity in their brain. He actually, by all accounts, seemed to be a pretty good guy. He's the one who said, hey, I know that we already have all those business cards made up that said Illinois is silent for the incurable insane, but... We shouldn't call it that, right? We shouldn't call it that. He's running the hospital. He has it changed to Peoria State Hospital. It's a much more hopeful name. But anyways, he was all about helping people. And this is a pretty big campus campus. You can still go there. Some of it's office buildings now. Would you want to work in an office building that, that you're like, oh man, my job totally sucks? You look over and there's like a bloodstained wall and chains hanging there. Because even though even though he did his best to treat the patients, there still were a bunch of insane people there. Okay, I don't know. I don't know if it looked like a Farsight cartoon with chains hanging off the wall. Even a well run insane asylum, I wouldn't want to work there. I wouldn't want to be at a call center in there, right? But now it's office buildings. You may, your attorney, if you live in Illinois, your attorney may be working out of an insane asylum, former insane asylum. Some of the buildings are gone. Some of the buildings are now used as small business buildings. And then other buildings are just spooky, spooky buildings on the property. And there's four separate cemeteries on this plot of land as well. And one of the things Dr. George said was we want to kind of get, like, having a job as part of the human condition. Having a job, having something to do, I mean, even animal species do it. If people aren't working, it, it's kind of weird. We would like to just sit back and retire, but even people who retire like to continue to work. Ants, bugs, stuff like that, they need jobs. Humans need jobs. Needs, everyone needs a job, even if the job is digging a ditch and then someone else filling the ditch in. We need something to do. So he thought about that. And he goes, we can even get all of these insane people. He wasn't calling them insane people, right? He's a little more kind-hearted than I'm going to be. But he goes, you know what? We have all of this labor. There are these patients here. And there's different levels of insanity, right? Like, you don't want the guy who's stabbing his relatives. You're like, you'd be a great gardener. Here's some shears. But they go, well, let's take some of these people who are in the insane asylum, who can't, we can't let out because they're incurably insane, but let's put them to work. He had them working, which actually now that I think about it, <laughs> it would totally suck. What if you're insane due to like you're a workaholic and you're like, oh, you have a nervous breakdown. Your family's like, we love you, daddy, but we got to put you in the asylum because you just won't stop working. And, you're, and your job is trying to murder us. So then you figure you're going to go to the insane asylum and just kind of chill, kind of chillax for a while as people are screaming in your ears. Ah, and that's just the nurse. That's just the staff. And then when you try to sleep, the inmates are just ripping at your clothes. You're you're sitting there, and you're like, ah, oh, finally some peace, finally some peace and quiet. The screams of a the screams of a thousand inmates. I don't know where I'm going with this, but imagine, I like if I, I my biggest fear is being locked up in an insane asylum. I've talked about that on the show. Being locked up in an insane asylum. But the one thing I could do is like maybe I could do a bunch of puzzles or do crosswords and stuff like that. But no, now that I, now I have a totally different view of this Doctor George guy. Because if I'm locked up in insane asylum, I don't want to do nothing. I just want to sit and be insane. He made him work. He made him work. Now that I'm thinking about it, that's kind of like slavery. Because these people couldn't leave. Man. So, anyways. the rest of the story, I'm going to be thinking of Dr. George as a slave driver. I just want to sit back and be insane. But he put together these work crews. And he had these work crews for all sorts of jobs. One of them was the cemetery job. And there was a guy named Manuel Bookbinder. That wasn't his actual name. He was mute, and nobody knew what his actual name was. But apparently before he came to the asylum, he was a bookbinder. I don't know where Manuel came from because every job was manual back then. It's not manual like, hey, manual, like a manual. His name is just manual, like working on stuff. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> and his name might have been Emmanuel. But the point is, one, this is the second last episode of the season. And they usually get this weird. Last season, I was singing Nickelodeon songs. This one, there's a guy named Manuel Bookbinder. A.K.A. Old Book. That's what everyone called him. Because they didn't know if his name meant that he was manual labor. But anyways, he's a mute man. He's in his 20s. And they go, hey, how would you like to be a grave digger?" And he can't answer. He's just sitting there. He's mute. And they're like, perfect. He's like, oh, man, you didn't let me grab my chalkboard. So he becomes the grave digger. That's his job. He's a very, very simple man. So he would go out there. He would dig the grave. And then they would hold the funeral. Old Book would watch. From an elm tree, he would stand there, leaning against this elm tree, just sobbing heavily. Sobbing heavily at the loss of another human life. He he was deeply affected by death. And he's watching these people being buried. And he's probably sobbing because he's like, oh man, i got to fill that grave back in. Oh, I, I've been insane at a lazy prison. People loved Old Book. He was like, just a really good guy. They're like, hey dude, how's it going? He's just walking by. He's mute. They're like, yeah, same to you, buddy. But he dies pretty young. He dies at the age 32. And everyone showed up to his funeral. It said 400 people showed up to his funeral. Everyone loved Old Book. He was such a nice guy. So everyone was there. And the pallbearers are carrying Old Book's casket to his grave. And then all of a sudden, they go, huh? What? 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 Do you feel that? The other guy goes, "I feel that." And the third guy goes, ar, ar, "He's insane. He's totally incurable insane." They're like, "We got to get another Paul Bear." But then the fourth Paul Bear goes, "I feel it too, guys." All of a sudden, old books' casket got lighter. It felt like it was empty. And then echoing across the graveyard, they hear a deep sobbing cry (laughs) and everyone can't figure out where it's coming from they turn and they realize that the sound is coming from the old elm tree that manual bookbinder always stood next to 400 witnesses including Dr. George Zeller who was at this funeral, saw Old Book leaning against the elm tree, sobbing. (laughs) The crowd was so certain that that was actually what they were seeing. They actually put down his coffin and opened it up just to be sure that Old Book was dead. When they opened the coffin up, There they saw the body of Manual Bookbinder, and the crying stopped. Now, beyond being a ghost story that has 400 witnesses, this was actually, Dr. Zeller wrote this down in his journal that day. Dear Diary, today was the spookiest day at an insane asylum, and that's saying a lot. He wrote in his journal about seeing the specter of Old Book, but the story, the ghost story doesn't end there. It actually just starts there. Because now, as a spirit, Old Book continued to appear. Or at least his voice did. Days after Manual Bookbinder was buried the elm tree began to show signs that it was quickly dying. It's a fire hazard. It can fall on people. So they got to get rid of it. So people go out to chop it down. And as they get close to it, (laughs) everyone's looking at each other and they're like, do you hear that? That, The tree is crying. That's kind of weird. (laughs) Right? And trees don't normally do that. I've heard of the weeping willow, but this is ridiculous. And everyone's like, oh, come on. So anyway, he goes. Dude, there's like two episodes left, man. What do you expect? They're like, "What are you talking about?" One of the guy goes, "Crying tree or no crying tree? We got a job to do." And he takes an axe, and he swings at this thing. This tree, this tree is haunted. Come on. They know that this tree is associated with a man who just died and his ghost appeared in front of 400 people. But this dude, this guy, he was in the insane asylum for chopping people with axes. He's like, I don't care. I don't care if Manuel Bookbinder was standing here alive. I'm chopping this tree down. And when he takes his axe and he swings it into the tree, the second that blade cuts into the mighty elm's bark, Everyone around the tree said that it sounded like a man wailing as if a human being had been hit with an axe. <laughs> Again, all of these people are in an insane asylum. More than one of them have probably <laughs> hit a guy with an axe at some point. They're like, Oh, memories, all oh, memories. That reminds me of that time I hit my boss on the head with that hatchet. So at this point, they go, Okay, that's that's terrifying, right? <laughs> the guy's still trying to chop it down. They're like, Barney, Barney, no. Don't do it. We don't know what's going to happen. So they decide not to chop down the tree because there's something spooky going on. It's crying. It's screaming as if it's a man getting chopped by a tree. But they have to get rid of the tree. So they hold this little meeting and they go, on the one hand, this tree may possess the spirit of good old Book. A good-hearted man who never did anyone any harm. But on the other hand... Let's burn it, right? That was the other thing they came to because they got to get rid of the tree. So maybe it has the spirit of gentle book, but they want to burn it. They just want to set it on fire. So they go, and they go to set it on fire, and it begins screaming so loudly that people have to put it out, right? People, more more cooler heads prevail, and they're like, (laughs) the tree may be dying, and it may be a health hazard. It may fall on somebody at some point, but... (laughs) At some point, that may happen. Right now, it sounds like a screaming man on fire, so they put out the fire. The tree looked like it was dying, but it never died. It just sat there for the longest time. And people were too afraid to remove it because who knows what was going to happen. But one day, it was finally removed by nature itself. (laughs) Lightning struck the tree and completely split it. And at that point, they were able to remove it, and it made no sounds. Now, Dr. Zeller ended up writing a book called Befriending the Bereft, which I actually tried finding a copy of. It goes for like hundreds of dollars now. It's been out of print for a long time, but he wrote a book called Befriending the Bereft, and it's Dr. Zeller's experiences at Peoria State Hospital. He's talking about, oh, I remember remember this one guy, he was such a cut-up. He was always cutting up other patients, but he did it in such a funny way. He's telling these stories about, he wasn't making fun of the patients. I would pay hundreds of dollars. I would pay hundreds of dollars for that. I would start a GoFundMe. If it was the book of a doctor of an insane asylum, just racking, doing a roast on all these people. No. He talks about his time and rehabilitating people and the friendships that he made and the stuff he learned, but there are parts of the book that are spooky stories. The description that I've seen of the book says the book is about his life working at these state hospitals, but they also contain anecdotes of creepy things he ran into, and one of them is the story of Old Book. The stuff about seeing the apparition of Old Book at the graveyard is apparently in the book, Befriending the Bereft. I don't know if the story of removing the tree is as well. That might be but i know for sure they've sourced the story of old book himself from this from this book befriending the bereft so interesting story it's imagine reading imagine reading a book about the psychology of inmates and all of a sudden you turn the page and it becomes an rl stein novel but that's apparently what befriending the bereft was nowadays you can actually visit like i said in the beginning you can visit the peoria state hospital most of the buildings are either private buildings now or demolished however you can still go see um old books grave it's grave number 713 because they weren't putting names on the graves there were so many of people obviously there were 713 of them but that's the story of old book a man who was a simple man but he couldn't understand death It filled him with such grief that that grief infused the environment around him. And I would say that it was his grief, because I believe that a lot of ghost stuff could just be emotional energy infusing an area. What I find fascinating is that the tree was reacting to it, trying to be removed. So it wasn't just a recording of his grief. You could actually interact with it. Maybe there's a little seed. Maybe there's a little elm tree seed in the soil right now, and it has, like, it wiggles, goes... Maybe. Dude, wouldn't it be creepy? Think about this. Let's put our conspiracy caps on real quick. Imagine that elm tree and there's like a seed and it falls out. of I have no idea how elm tree seeds work. I don't, I don't even think I could pick an elm tree out of a lineup of trees. Say that an elm tree has a seed because I'm sure that it does. And then a little seed, a little seed falls off of this elm tree. And as the lightning strikes it, the little seed like goes, whoo, and it falls and then it rolls around on the ground. And then, like, an insane person picks it up and goes, okay. And he puts it, <laughs> puts it in his pocket. That's his insanity. And he likes picking up seeds. My point is, that wasn't the end of the story. This is what I'm trying to get at. But I'm getting confused. It's getting really hot in my recording studio. What if a haunted tree produced a haunted seed is what I'm trying to say. Like, what if there's a seed out there? Like, Dude, Jason, The story's from, like, 1910. I don't think there's a haunted seed still out there. But seeds last a while, right? Don't they? Like, if you took an acorn and you put it in a vault for a thousand years, a thousand years later, couldn't you be like, haha, now it's time to plant you? Let's, let's say that that's true. Let's say that that's true, even though I don't know. I imagine it's hard, right? So, like, it wouldn't decay because it's too hard. It's kind of like a rock, but it's a seed. No Number one science podcast in El Salvador, by the way. So, anyways, it's not anymore. We've been we've been steadily dropping down the ranking since I announced this was the number one science podcast on El Salvador, which was true at the time. It is steadily dropping down. I really think the community of El Salvador got together and they're like, "No way, dude! We gotta, we gotta, we got we have to remove this from our country's reputation." If you took a... This is what I'm getting at. We're not going to be able to talk about the artist story. I'm not going to have time for it because I want to finish this. What if you took a haunted... You have a haunted tree. You take a haunted seed from it and then you plant it. Would that tree be haunted? Well, it's the same thing. Like If you had a haunted house... Think about this. If you had a haunted house and you removed the wood from it and then you put new wood on it, is the house still haunted? And then if you took the old wood and then you built a new house with using the old wood, Is which house is the haunted <laughs> you like, stop. Just seriously, stop, dude. I'm about to unsubscribe. Think of which house would be the haunted house. Would they both be haunted? Would the ghost be like between the two? <laughs> it's a vacation house. It's like, see you guys later. I got to go haunt this family in Connecticut. That's what I love about topics like this. And I talked about it yesterday too. It's just, exploring the ideas. Exploring the ideas. If you had a haunted object, and again, a tree, a haunted tree is interesting because it's continuing to... Pro- Dude, what if a demon-possessed person had a baby? Would the baby dem- be demonically possessed? <laughs> little devil? It's like, look, who's that little devil character that used to run with Casper? This little baby with horns? You can do this for hours. <laughs> I'm going to continue to do it um, after the podcast. I'll keep thinking about it, but right now... So I'm just saying, like, what if there's a whole forest of haunted trees out there now? Haunted elm trees. Bunch of old books in them. And at night when you're walking through the forest, you think you're just hearing the wind blowing through the trees. But instead you're hearing a hundred moans. The crying of a man lost forever. <laughs> See, kind of spooky. See, you didn't expect it to get spooky, right? Like, you thought it was uplifting? You're like chasing the story of a man in an insane asylum who couldn't speak, couldn't speak, who died young, possessed a tree, and got set on fire. It's not uplifting. I would not use the word uplifting to describe any part of that story. That was terrifying. And sure you made it slightly more terrifying to say that his body, his soul is now split among an entire forest of trees. But it already was incredibly unsettling. It was not uplifting what type of weirdo, what type of lunatic. You should be in the asylum if you think if you consider that first story to be uplifting. Sister Celestine, we have we. I gotta outrun my listeners. They're about to have me put in the Peoria State Hospital. Fire up that copter. We are leaving behind Illinois. We are heading on out to a forest in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Bunch of old books. Bunch of old book ghosts are there. (laughs) I came across this a while back. I was on the heroin subreddit. Longtime listeners of the show know. I spend my evenings, like when I'm going to bed, when I do this, this is such a bizarre Jason trait. As I'm going to sleep, I go to subreddits of really despondent and despair subcultures. For whatever reason I do before I go to bed, I go to like heroin subreddits, meth subreddits, gambling addicts, subreddits, which are the most depressing. Like, at least with a heroin user, you have something to look forward to, right? More heroin. You have more heroin. But And if you don't have more heroin, then you're on that journey to get more heroin. It's like a Frodo-esque quest. You're trying to meet up with your fellowship. Your fellowship of other heroin addicts and trying to score and maybe break into people's houses. Still their DVD players. Apparently, you live in the year 2003. The DVD player is still worth money. Gambling addicts are the worst, man. Those stories are so tragic. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, I need 20 bucks to do some smack this morning versus I'm $40,000 in debt. There's so many posts on this gambling subreddit. I, th- I don't remember the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> you, guys are getting, you guys are like, I don't want to go there. There's so many posts that you come across and they're like, I own a loan shark, $20,000, and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, like that guy's not going to be posting on Reddit for a while. Like That's rough. I'll see people lose, like, they'll be like, I lost $400,000 last year. So anyways, this is how I go to sleep. I go to these subreddits before I go to bed. A while back, I came across something on the heroin subreddit. Junkies hate water. This person who's a heroin user goes, is it just me or do junkies hate water? And... I'm reading that. I I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is because every single junkie, I think there's maybe two or three exceptions, but everyone else said, oh, no, I hate taking baths. Can't stand the feeling of showers on me. Singing in the rain rain is a horror movie to me. What, are you mad? Apparently junkies hate water. And so that put put a little piece of macaroni in my mouth because I started thinking, there's a lot of things that don't like water. There's a, there's a few other things that don't like water in my side of the world, the paranormal world. People with rabies. Did you know rabies was paranormal? But people with rabies hate water. And a whole host of cryptids and paranormal entities. Most famously, the vampire. But there are other entities out there that if a creature is chasing you, you just cross the river, it won't come after you. You, you see that a lot. If it's running water, the creatures won't cross the running water. So I started to think, I wonder if there's anything to this junkies hate water thing. And there actually is an interview with William S. Burroughs about heroin addiction. And he he does confirm that. He goes, junkies hate water. It's something to do with the fact... It's like a psychological response to being high on heroin. You don't want to get wet. You're going to have to really put your conspiracy caps on and strap them in for this one. Because they might pop off of your head and go, uh... I have a thing, hanging out with me is like hanging out with a toddler, because I'm always asking questions, and the number one question that I always have is, how did this start? How did this start? There's a huge fire, I'm holding a match, I was like, how did this start? No, when I think of stuff, I go, who was the first person to do this? Who was the first person? And I've I've mentioned that several times on the show. I don't think I've explicitly said how much I'm obsessed with origins. But early on in the show, I was like, who was the first person to ever drink milk out of a cow? Like, somebody was. Somebody goes, well, I'm drinking milk out of my mom's boob. Not actively, when I was a baby, so that cow has boobs. Maybe I can drink that, too. Or shamans going off. I mean, how many thousands of shamans died trying to go on a vision quest and they ate poison? And someone goes, oh, don't eat that bush. That'll kill you. I'm always interested in who the first person to do stuff is. A while back, we did an episode about virgin boy eggs, and I didn't really get to the origin of it. Nobody knows why they started cooking virgin boy eggs. If you missed that episode, in this province in China, they take a hard... (laughs) You're like, damn it, Jason. I did listen to that episode. It was super disgusting. And I hoped you never bring it back up. They take hard-boiled eggs in China. They boil them in... In the urine of boys who are under the age of 10. And then they crack them open and boil them some more so it soaks in all the urine and then they eat them. I was, when I was doing research on it, nobody knows why they started doing this. No one knows why it was discovered. I personally think, there's my theory, that some pervert wanted to eat virgin boy urine. We don't know the origins of so many things that we think we do. The burrito, we don't know why we call a burrito a burrito. We talked about that on a recent episode. What if cryptids, these old-timey cryptids, were drug users? So here's here, this is where I'm going with this. I always thought the stories of people with vampirism and lycanthropy turning into a werewolf, was very, very closely connected to rabies. Because so, so many of them are connected. One, you're getting bit by a dog, or you're getting bit by a bat, or you're just getting out in the wild, and you contract rabies, you go mad, you're frothing at the mouth, everyone thinks you're a lunatic, and you won't cross rivers, because people with rabies are deathly afraid of water. So if you saw someone with rabies in your village, you want to know what it was oh man, I got bit by that dog, that dog was acting crazy, and then you start acting crazy, and you would just be hitting them with a broom. You'd invent a broom real quick to hit them with it. You wouldn't know what that was. But then I started thinking, what if there is a connection? Because when we have these stories of these cryptids, the question is always, when was the first one seen? Whether it's a water nymph, or a headless mule, or Bigfoot, when was the first one seen? Like, is it possible that way long ago, we're talking... Some of these cryptids are actually more recent than you would imagine. The Chupacabra? Chupacabra, we know where it came from. It was started, the sighting, first sighting was by a woman after she saw the movie Species. The Chupacabra is so recent. It's after the movie Species. They've gone back and said, oh no, there were Chupacabra sightings in the 1800s and 1600s. No, there were not. The Chupacabra did not appear in the lore until after a single woman saw the movie Species and thought it was a documentary. There is a very, very well-documented book called uh, Hunting the Chupacabra or Searching for the Chupacabra. I'll put it in the show notes. The journalist, because it's such a new cryptid, they were able to track it back to the very first witness. That's why the Chupacabra looks like the creature from Species chupacabra whenever people bring that up i instantly causes my eyeballs to roll back in the head because it's so easily dismissed and that's what i'm talking about what if more cryptids than we would like to think were a single lunatic tripping on some sort of drug in the middle of nowhere? what if it was people in the past ingesting drugs acting super weird and then a legend being built around them Because this is my thing. I know this sounds really scattershot, but this is kind of what I'm getting at. You could have easily had some lunatic in a village back in the 1400s acting a fool and running off into the wilderness and a cryptid legend being started about that person. Saying there's something in the... And we know how these legends grow. First off, it'd be like, don't go in the woods. We think that maniac's still out there. He drank some wine, they don't know it's fermented, that it had gone bad, but he drank some wine and he got possessed. He ran in the woods, don't go out there. And then the next generation, even though this guy would have been long dead by now, probably fell into a chasm, the next generation was like, don't go out in the woods. (laughs) There's a teddy bear picnic, but don't go out to the other side of the woods either, because there's the thing out there. He stands in the darkness with glowing red eyes. And then the story keeps growing and growing and growing. Because imagine this today. Let's go 500 years in the future. Where origins of things are lost. We're not like a caveman society. We're super advanced. But we still over time just lose sight of things. If you talk to someone 500 years from now about a meth addict today, they would sound like a cryptid. You wouldn't believe. People would be like, that's that's old superstition. You're like, no, because imagine 500 years in the future, we've moved past the need for drug abuse. We've moved past the need to put these chemicals in our body to feel good. If you sat down and you talked to someone, listen, in my neighborhood, there used to be a guy who would... (laughs) There used to be a guy who didn't sleep. He never slept. He peeled his own skin off. He would pick little pieces of his skin off. His teeth would fall out of his mouth. He drank... (laughs) He drank more Mountain Dew than he thought was humanly possible. And he would see the shadow realm. He could see past reality. Person in the future would be like, You're totally making that up. You're 100% making that up. There's another guy in my neighborhood, you say, because it's a really bad neighborhood, who did PCP. And I would watch him fight 10 cops off at once. It's a very, very exciting neighborhood. He was just getting tased and hit with batons. He shook it all off. If you talk to people about drug addicts and they had no concept for the drugs that we do today, they would seem like they were cryptids. (laughs) To some, they may seem like gods. Yeah, it used to be, I knew this guy, (laughs) this other guy on my block who smoked weed and he could communicate with the oneness. He would get so stoned. That time would slow down, and he could see the syllables in his own brain form as the sentences were being said and that that is a superhuman feat to be able to manipulate time like that, so why couldn't it be that in the past as well? I'm not saying that they had I'm not saying they had some meth factory in Arthurian times. But these people eating these berry bushes, eating these plants that are either drug-like in nature or they're processed to become an old-timey drug. Did you know, this just goes to show, because people are like, Jason, we don't lose history that much. Did you know there used to be three shakers on a table up until like the late 1700s, early 1800s? You had salt, pepper, and something else. And we don't know what that something else was. When we look in history, we can see there were three shakers on tables pre-1700s. Salt, pepper, and something else. We have no idea what it was. None. They've narrowed it down to like five or six different spices, but they can't get it any closer than that. Because the question goes, out of all the spices available in the medieval world, why salt and pepper? Salt, obvious. Salt's obvious because it's preserved food, but why pepper? When you have all this other stuff, you have paprika, you have cayenne, you have a bunch of other stuff. I'm not a real spice guy. I'm more of a spice girl. But, white pepper? And what was the third one? That just happened 200 years ago. It was such a domestic, it was such a common thing. It would be sitting on your table. If you were in the 1700s, you would go, where's the third shaker? And you would know exactly what it was. But today, historians have no idea what it is. At all. So that's how quickly that something incredibly common can be lost. And it would be fascinating to learn that all these cryptids we spend so much time researching and having fun with and trying to investigate and see if they're true, if 99.9% of them are 100% urban legends that have grown over time, or based on real people, a single event of a lunatic doing something and then a legend being brought out about them, or not a single lunatic, but a group of people who are engaging in some sort of drug use. The world of the paranormal is fascinating, but not because it's paranormal. Because it's so close to normal. If the answer was always just, it's magic, it's interdimensional, you can't comprehend it, that's okay. But I think if we can trace at least some of these things back to a rational answer, then we can sit back and go, whoa, that's it. We figured it out. That makes the chase even more exciting. That makes the search have an ending. Whether or not we find the answer isn't always the important part, but it's nice to find some of them. Even if the answer is mundane as the story of Dracula was just a dude who was ripping on a bong and got a little too stoned and decided to impale 10,000 people. Dead Rabbit Radio at gmail dot. That's the ending. That too, too. Come on, man. There's two episodes. There's two episodes left. I'm, I've lost five pounds sweating. Dead Rabbit Radio. I, I like that end. I always imagine sometimes at the end of these episodes, there's like two people listening. They're like, oh, "I'll try it. I'll try it tomorrow." I love doing this podcast. I know. I, I like this one. I like this one. I can just imagine other people. there's like one person left there like I like it too. Deadrabradio at gmail.com is gonna be your email address. You can also hit us up. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead, Radio. Dead Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.